0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Starting again, the cycle of the Torah, Baruch Hashem. We just closed off Devarim. We closed off the book of Devarim. And we are moving straight to the beginning. So the Devarim ends off with Moshe Rabbeinu's death, which Sadiqim uh, are always alive, because when we mention their names, the Gemara says, when we mention Sadiq's name, and we learn Torah in their name, they are alive. It's like their lips are moving. So the Sadiq is always alive on one on a certain level. And straight away, we start with the cosmology of the universe, how the world was created, at least uh, in very, very special terms, not in our scientific terms, but in God's ways of, of creation, uh, which is more of a spiritual kind of uh, way of describing creation, a very spiritual way. This is not the way that... Uh, science discusses it, although there is such a thing as a Big Bang, which is interesting. And the Torah does mention that the world started just in the split seconds, which is like a Big Bang. And there was darkness on the face of the deep, which is interesting because that's like a black hole, right? Darkness on the face of the deep. Not many people refer to it as a black hole, but there it is. If you translate the Torah properly, you'll it see it's darkness on the face of the deep. Anyway, there is a certain comparison between uh, science and the Torah. There's books written about it. Um, there's certain uh, professors in Hebrew University, Schroeder, very interesting, wrote a book, The First Eight Minutes of Creation, and uh, he tries, tries to map out creation. But anyway, that's not my topic. My topic tonight doesn't concern creation or objects, it concerns human beings, and it concerns humanity. But one thing I want to talk about is this parasha I discusses, one of the themes in the parasha which is overlooked is speech. One of the themes of the parasha is speech. What speech? Let's go through different uh, acts of speaking. The first act is Hashem created the world using speech. That's what the Torah says. Now, is that accurate? I don't know. We know what Hashem's speech is. Hashem doesn't have a voice box. Hashem doesn't speak. But it's referred to as speaking. Why does the Torah refer... That's our question. Why does the Torah refer to creation as speech? And here there's a massive moral, ethical lesson, and that is with our speech, we create worlds. We don't realize that. Our speech has the power to create, and also our speech has the power to destroy. Positive speech can create. The rabbis say when we say, when a child says amen the first time, he's Ben olamaba, gets a portion of the world to come just by saying one word. So the word, the speech, the power of speech, Hashem used sayings to create the world. Ten sayings, Hashem created the world. It's a Mishnah, Perikei abot. Why didn't Hashem just use one saying? So the Mishnah says to give more reward to the righteous when they keep mitzvot. They are fulfilling the world that was created through great trouble. Hashem used ten sayings to to create the world. <laughs> That's trouble for Hashem. He could have created the world with one saying. But I think the, there's a massive ethical, moral lesson that is Speech has the power to create, and it's something which we have to do in our lives try and keep our speech positive. Very, very important message, very important lesson has shared created with speech. The speech was powerful and positive. Let there be this, let there be that. But we can also, in our speech, when we pray, we can will things to happen. We can pray. Now, today I had a very strange experience. I'll tell you what my experience was, and I can see the hand of God, you can see it so clearly. You know, it hasn't rained in Israel this whole year. hasn't rained at all. Not the new year, not the old year, since the beginning of, uh, I don't know what, it was the end of the winter, which is probably around Pesach time. hasn't rained. And I built a little porch for my sukkah. And the guy the the, the guy was meant to come and put the roof on. I, he said, he's had to build a roof. He tells me, okay, I'll put it on next week. All of a sudden, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he calls me. I'm coming right now. I built your, your roof. I have it ready. I'm going to put it on. I've been working on it today, and I said, "Wow, this is amazing! How come he's put, he's bringing it today? I never heard of an Israeli uh, workman coming early. You know, coming a few days early. You know, usually come a few days late, not a few days early. So he put the roof on, and today, for the first time, we had rain. Today, for the first time, I tell you, he finished the roof around three, and around six it was rain. So I'm saying, "Wow, this is amazing! This is that is this uh, is This is Hashem's divine." Uh, intervention, we'll see this always in our lives positive things. So, positive speech Hashem used positive speech to create the world. Let's use that as well. Speech can be so powerfully creative. That's the lesson of Parashah. And also, it can be powerfully destructive, which we're going to talk about as well. Because the speech of Adam to his wife, where he left out certain details of what Hashem told him, caused death and destruction to humanity caused death in the world we have to, the power of speech that's really what I want to talk about today It's power of speech and the certain speeches that the Torah leaves us hanging it doesn't tell us what the speech was we're going to talk about that because it says that Cain told Abel Cain told his brother Hebel, doesn't say what he said it's left as a mystery he talked to his brother and then he killed him we don't know what the speech was about we have no idea the Midrashim fills in But we have to see, we have to try and understand what's going on over here. And let's try and explain. So number one is power of speech. The power to create speech can create power, powerful, positive speech can create and negative speech can destroy. So positive speech can create marriages, can create uh, children, can create other things through the power of positive speaking. And the negative speech can destroy, can destroy relationships, can destroy marriages, can destroy prayers, can destroy it's very powerful. Speech is powerful. That's that's one of the lessons of the parasha. Speech is powerful. It continues. The parasha continues. Hashem called names to all of creation. He called names, he called the light, he called it light, he called darkness, he called it day, he called it night. He's calling, he's again the power of speech is mentioned over and over and then it says that adam called names of the animals so again adam is using his power of speech to call names to describe animals now what's interesting in the power of calling names to the animals it says when adam called the animals names he actually called them after their traits very very fascinating a kelev comes with lev lev a kelev faithful hearts dogs have faithful hearts a gamal is from the word Gomel Chasadim. It does kindness to people, it carries them over vast distances in the desert. Right? So the, the chamor, chamor comes with Chemar, which is like concrete. The donkey does not budge. It's obstinate animals, so it's like uh, concrete. So it's interesting how he used his speech to describe names of the animals that we use still today in Hebrew. And these animals don't just, these names don't just, uh, just arbitrary names for animals like in English. These names actually mean they encapsulate the animal's essence. The names of the animals in Hebrew encapsulate the essence of the animal. Very, very powerful. Okay, so speech again is quoting names. Hashem called names to creation. Adam calls names to the animals, and then Hashem speaks to man. That's amazing because it's in this speech parashah, we have a two-way conversation. Adam is, Hashem is talking to Adam, giving instructions which were very few, by the way. There's one major mitzvah in this week's parasha, but well, there are a few actually. The seven, uh, seven Noachide laws were given to Adam first, and then to Noah, except for one, there were six, and then one was added by Noah, which is ever Menachai, not to eat a limb from a living animal, that's in parasha Noah. The first six are given this week's parasha, at least they're hinted to in this week's parasha, and um, explicitly is puruvu, having children, but the first mitzvah, which is not a mitzvah for us, is the it's a kind of mitzvah of kashrut. It's a kind of mitzvah of what Adam is allowed to eat. Interesting. What he's not allowed to eat. He's allowed to eat anything in the whole garden. And he's only not allowed to eat one thing. That's it. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was not allowed to be eaten by Adam. So Hashem speaks to Adam. Hashem gives him instructions. Again, power of speech. Giving instructions. But the instructions were clear. They were very crystal clear to Adam. How Unfortunately, when Adam repeated it to his wife, Chavah, he changed and he altered the instructions. The instructions were not to eat the fruit. He added a gazeera, He added a fence around the mitzvah, the first fence, the first man-made fence around the mitzvah. And he tells his wife, you're not allowed to touch the tree. He said, listen know order to add it, maybe she'll be allowed to eat it, but maybe she by touching it, she'll come to eat it, and therefore I'll tell her, you know, don't need to touch it. And so she gets the wrong information. See so how we see the power of speech is making sure the information is correct. It's very important not to tell lies. I think Adam told a lie. He told a white lie. He, he misinterpreted God's instruction. He added the instruction himself, and he said, God said this. Big mistake, and we are not allowed to do that. When we, we're allowed, when we teach Torah to others, we have to be very careful to delineate. This is a rabbinical law, and this is a Torah law, because we're not allowed to add laws to the Torah. We're not allowed to add, we're not allowed to subtract. The person has going to be very careful when they learn. For example, the mitzvah of lighting candles on Shabbat is not a mitzvah from the Torah. It's a mitzvah from the rabbis. The mitzvah of saying halel is not a mitzvah from the Torah. It's a mitzvah from the rabbis. All A the person has going to be very careful when they teach. This is from the Torah. This is God's word. This is rabbinically added. Very important. Otherwise, people make mistakes. So, if I broke the rabbinical, why can't I break the Torah? I already broke it. So, no, it's not breaking Torah law. It's breaking rabbinical law. It's not the same level. It's not the same level of stricture. So, when Adam speaks to Hava, again, you see the problem of speech. It's got to be accurate. It's got to say it like it is. It's got to be. You can't just uh, change things that God says and not tell people I changed it. I added something. And then Chava speaks to the snake, which is very fascinating. Who's the snake? Rasadia Gaon says, I've never seen a snake walk and talk. This is not something that we can understand. This is not the real snake that we see walking around today. And well, there's no snake that walks around today. We, we don't see these kind of snakes. These snakes don't exist. But the snake is a proverbial snake, which is the, the angel of death. That's what the Bidrash says. The angel of death was riding on its back. And make him talk and do all sorts of things. The snake. And she speaks to the snake. And the snake, well, if you can understand it, it's her yetzahara. It's the yetzahara, the evil intonation inside her mind. She's talking to her mind, as the Rambam says. And the Guide to the perplexed. The, the word nachash comes to the word nichush, which is to guess or to imagine. It's her imagination. She's looking at the tree and she's imagining Imagine what the fruit tastes like. It's such a gorgeous tree. Imagine. Look at the tree. My neighbor has some beautiful trees. He has pomegranate trees. A beautiful pomegranate tree. You ever seen a banana tree? Uh, It's amazing. You go down the road in Israel, you see all kinds of fig trees, olive trees. Amazing. And she's walking down the the, the path of the Garden of Eden and seeing this tree. And said, wow, this tree is special. It looks special. It says, It was a desire for the eyes. It attracted attention and riveted her. She's fascinated by it. And the snake said, Why don't you take some? Why don't you eat some? Again, the power of speech can be used to trick people, deceive people, people to lie to people, to cause people to do the wrong thing. The power of persuasion, that's what we learned this week, Parashah. We learned the power of speech. Hashem can create worlds. And Chava can destroy worlds with her. Adam. Adam changed his words. Chava spoke to the snake. The snake persuaded her to eat the fruit. So we see the power of persuasion. We see the different powers of speech, of the positive side of speech and the negative side of speech. And that's why we have to be very, very careful what we say, how we say it. Speech can destroy relationships, speech can destroy marriages, speech can destroy worlds, and we're seeing today wars going on because of speech, wars are going on around us, murder, exactly, the world is not changing, well, that brings me to the next topic, which is exactly what is going on right now, and that is man killing man, brothers killing each other, you know, that the Ukrainians and the Russians are very, very closely related, they're very, very closely related through bloodlines, through uh, uh, language, through uh, living together for, I don't know, many centuries, Ukraine was part of Russia. And uh, see brother killing brother now, literally brother killing brother, Cain and his brother Hevel. So this is one of the themes in this week's parasha, a very, very important theme, and I'm going to go right into it right now. And uh, our parasha recounts a very disquieting story of here is man's exalted status in creation. It's amazing status. He's next to God. He's godlike in terms of uh, being a creator, a little creator walking around, can communicate, can talk to God. And uh, the Midrash says the angels thought that man was also God. Until God did two things. Number one is he created a mate for Adam. So this way Adam is not a unity. He's not alone. He's not one. And number two is he puts sleep over man. So man would go to sleep in this way. No one's going to be fooled. A human being is a God when he sleeps. How could Pharaoh persuade people he was a God? He had to go to the bathroom. He had to sleep. And so what he did is he would hide these things from the people. He would. No one would know that Pharaoh would go to sleep. No one would know that Pharaoh would go to the bathroom. No one would know it was not widespread knowledge. They thought he was a God. Imagine. So Hashem makes Adam go to sleep, creates a mate for Adam. And alone among God's creatures, Adam and Chava are endowed with moral capacity. They were created in the image of God. What does that mean? Moral capacity, spiritual sensitivity, and a yearning for meaning in their lives. That is what, uh, what the Torah says. Man was created in the image of God. God has no physical image. It's talking about moral capacity, spiritual sensitivity. And a yearning for growth, a yearning for transcendent meaning. And here, these, the first two beings created chose to partake of the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge. And they are banished from Gan Eden and are condemned to lives of toil and grief and to die the death of mortals. And for us, we are their descendants. The same process is unfolding, unfortunately. And what we have to try and do is go back to Gan Eden. We are all trying to go back to Gan Eden. That's what the whole Torah is all about. The Torah is from the creation of man and the fall of man and the exile from the Garden of Eden. It's a story of process going back to the Garden of Eden. Where is the Garden of Eden? Well, for us, there's a bit to live in Israel. That is the Garden of Eden. That, is, that could be the garden of Eden, but again, it depends on our choices. Israel could be the garden of Eden, the perfect society, which is so hard because we're surrounded by enemies and we have to be sometimes cruel. It, it really is a big, massive test over here. It's a massive test how to make our country into a moral, ethical, perfect utopia where you can leave your doors open and go to sleep and you'll know no one's going to come in and take things arbitrarily, and this is something that we have to strive for going back into the Garden of Eden, which we're going to talk about, where, which is God's command to Abraham, Lech lecha, go, go where? The place I will show you. Which place? The Garden of Eden. I want you to go back to the Garden of Eden. I want you to recreate the Garden of Eden, which we're trying to do. But in the meantime, here we are. We're banished from this idyllic garden. We're condemned to lives of toil and grief, to die the death of mortals. And unfortunately, let's see what happens. The first children created by man were two brothers. Well, the Midrash says they had sisters as well. Cain and Hevel and very strange names. Very interesting, strange names. So it says, Adam knew his wife. I don't say he loved her. If you're very careful, the Torah does not say Adam loved his wife. The first person mentioned in the Torah who loved his wife was anyone? Uh, Yitzhak Avira. Yitzhak It says, Yitzhak loved Rivka like he loved his mother. So he loved his wife. That's a basic. He loved his wife. Adam doesn't say anywhere he loved his wife. It says he knew his wife. He knew his wife. She became pregnant and she gave birth to Cain. Why Cain? But she called her name Cain. She says, literally, I acquired a man to serve God. I acquired the word Kain, comes with knot to acquire. She acquired a human being to serve Hashem. Beautiful name. I mean, she had tremendously good intentions. She called her first son Kain, which today no one does. No one calls their son Kain. I acquired. It's a lovely idea to acquire a human being to serve God. It's a beautiful. Idea. That's what we're trying to do. But no one calls their son Kayin. We're going to see why. And her second son, which is even strange. It's a very strange name. She calls Hevel. Now, the Torah does not give us any idea why she called her second son Hevel. And Hevel, unfortunately, means vanity, means breath, air. She calls her son Hevel, which is interesting because that's where the book of Kohelet, which we studied a little bit, and starts off with the seven times. Hevel havalim amar Kohelet, Hevel havalim This world, the physical existence that we live in is purely vanity. The physical existence without Spirituality is vanity. She calls her second son Hebel vanity. Terrible name to use to call a child. And the Torah does not give us any reason why she called him Hebel. But if we read the story, we'll see it was very appropriate. The name Hebel was very appropriate because he was killed by his brother and he never, never really achieved anything, never had children. So Hevel is Hevel. He just lived like a breath of air and was gone. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So she gave birth to this first son, Cain, for she said, I have literally acquired a man for God. Beautiful. Then she gave birth again to his brother, to Hevel. And then the Torah says, Hevel was a shepherd of flocks and Cain was a worker of the land. After a year or so, Cain presents some of his produce as an offering to God. Can you imagine, the first person the Torah mentions to give an offering to God was this guy, Cain. not one of our heroes in the Torah, but can imagine the idea, the thought process. So the Midrashim say that Adam was celebrating Pesach. He tells his sons, this Pesach now, we have to bring offerings to God. That's a Midrash. The Torah does not mention this at all. The Torah seems to say, gives the credit of bringing a first offering to Cain. And he brings Cain brings some of his produce. The rabbi says flaxseed, which is very good. And Hevel also brought his offering. Among his, the critical word over here is, Bechorot Sonor, the firstborn of his sheep, and fatlings. And God listened to Hevel and to his offerings. But he did not turn to Cain and his offerings. And Cain got very angry and very depressed. And This is one of the keys in life is trying not to get angry and depressed. This is one of the negatives we have to try and keep away. Again, another big moral lesson of the parasha is don't get angry. Don't get depressed. Because those are the things that lead to terrible, terrible things. So we're going to see. So he gets angry and depressed, and here God speaks to Cain. Again, we see speech used as a kind of rebuke. Hashem is giving rebuke to Cain, giving him musar, giving him ethical uh, speech. He says to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you improve your ways, you will be uplifted. If you do not approve, then iniquity crouches at the door. You're just going to let you're going to be taken over by the Yetzirah, right? You're going to be taken over by the bad inclination inside you. So Hashem gave Kain a warning, which is interesting, um, which we don't have very often in the Torah, where Hashem himself gives a warning to someone. To Kain must have been on a tremendously high spiritual level just for God to be able to talk to him, just for God to talk to him. So he was in a meditative state. Hashem speaks to Kain, warns Kain, unfortunately, the brief passage sets the backdrop for the most dastardly deed to follow. The cold-blooded murder of Hevel by his brother, Cain. The trouble is there's such a lack of context over here. Why did Cain kill Hevel? I mean, okay, so Hevel brought an offering. Hevel's offering was a secondary offering. Cain brought the first offering. Cain's offering was not did not make God happy. Heaven's offering made God happy. Cain is so angry and so upset, he killed his brother. There's something really going on behind the scenes. We have to try and fathom something. Cain is terribly rejected. He feels rejected by God. He wants to please God and he's rejected by God. And Rejection is a terrible thing. You know, it's interesting. Even small babies, small kids. I have a grandson, you know, comes to me, lifts up his hands, pick me up, pick me up, you know, pick me up. So, okay, so you can tell him, speak to him nicely and say, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Can You see, Sabbath's busy. Or you can say, go away. And then that's terrible rejection. You see a a kid, a little kid breaking down in tears. The rejection factor is a terrible thing. Never reject anyone. Try not to reject anyone in your life. You see this later in the Torah where the brothers and Yaakov rejected uh, Tamar, not Tamar, what's her name? Uh, She came to join the Jewish people and she became the mother of Amalek. So she joined Esau instead of joining Yaakov. They pushed her away. And she became the mother of Esau. Never push people away. Reject them. You can do it a nice way without rejection. Now is not the time. Now is not the place. But not rejection. Outright rejection. So we see over here, lots of Hashem rejected Kain. But he didn't really. Because he gave Kain a message. All you have to do Kain is improve. He didn't reject Cain said, right now, you didn't meet the grade, but improve, like a good teacher. Right now, you didn't make the grade, you work harder, you'll improve. And this way, you'll make the grade, I'll be happy with you. But Kain is terribly upset. Now, there's a midrash over here that gives three other reasons why Kain was upset. One of them was that Kain and Hevel were born with sisters. And Hevel had two sisters, and Kain only had one. And they were meant in those days that no one else so they were allowed to marry their sisters, to uh, have uh, children, to keep the, fill, fill the world, which was empty at that time. And Kain got very upset, takes one of uh, fights with Hegel about his sisters. The second uh, is interesting, the second Midrash, it says that they fought about how to divide the world up. How, how do we divide the world? Kain says, I'm creating things from the earth, and Hevel says, I create things for sheep. Your clothes are made from my sheep. And Cain uh, says, well, your food is made from my crops. And the earth belongs to me. And Hevel says, well, the, the sheep and the wool belongs to me. And they had to fight how to split. Imagine, two people own the whole world and they fight to split the world. Exactly, the first is never enough, it's ne- imagine. This is a good lesson for us today. Russia wants to be bigger. It's never enough. We'll swallow this part, swallow Georgia, we'll swallow Crimea, we'll swallow this. It's never enough. And then they bit more than they could chew. It's so the same thing. It's amazing how early parashiyot in the Torah really explained to us human behavior. Right? Human behavior. So people ask, you know, well, the Torah is thousands of years old. What's it going to do with me? And the answer is human, human nature has not changed. You learn Torah, you learn human psychology. You learn Torah, you see how people tick, how, what makes them work, what motivates people. So first one was immorality, causes murder. Number two, the Midrash says, is possessions, desiring more and more and more causes, fighting and rejection. The third, the third idea is explicit in the parasha. They were fighting over God's attention. Hard to imagine, right? Religion can cause... Religion can cause infighting and murder of one's brother. Can imagine? And this happens, you know, we see this unfortunately tragically around us. Jihad and other things, you see that uh, religion can cause pain and destruction. So here's Kain, the first one to invent sacrifice, according to the Torah, to God. He wants to donate something to God and he kills his own brother. Can imagine? It's hard to imagine. So, three. Ideas we have, the tell us. Uh, one is explicit the idea they were fighting over religion. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Who has God's attention? You know, you have bumper stickers. My God is more powerful than yours. <laughs> My God is more powerful than yours. Well, that can cause fights, that can cause trouble. So God says to Kain, Why are you angry? Why are you downcast? And Kain is upset. He's mad. He's gone mad. So let's move on a little bit. So uh, it's interesting. Why is Hevel's name not explained in the Torah? It doesn't explain it at all. It just means Hevel means vanity. Hevel means dissipating and vanishing without a trace, like a breath. Like a breath. Amazing. 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 So it's interesting. So we find that Hevel brought better produce to god he brought the first of his feet of his sheep kind does of to say he brought the best of his produce he brought, he brought produce he didn't bring the best that was their debate does god require the best or does god not care about how we do a mitzvah that's the question you know it's interesting so a person does a mitzvah but there's lots of value added on a mitzvah how do you add value to a mitzvah? And the answer is, if you do a mitzvah with happiness and joy. It's a thousand times the price of the mitzvah. In Ramchal, Moshe Chaim Path of the Just, he says, by doing a mitzvah with joy, it's worth a thousand times as much. Can you imagine? Two people shaking their lulav. And one does it with gusto and with joy and with spiritual, spiritual devotion. Went, okay, let me shake the lulav, get it over with. So, one mitzvah is worth a thousand times as much. So we have to look at the devotion factor. When Cain Kai brought his offering, and Hevel, Abel, brought his offering, the devotion factor is tremendously important, something we have to know as well. So uh, that's a very important idea, the idea that depression and anger causes trouble and terrible things to happen. And it's so easy. It's really literally crouching at the door for a person to get angry, it doesn't take much, and it's right there, and it's very easy. And It doesn't get depressed. It's very easy. You know, some things happen. We find, uh, 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 who is it? It was Haman. Haman says, every time I see this, this Jew, Mordecai, here was the richest man, second richest man in the whole world. He had a lot of kids, a lot of, he had everything, fame, success, power, everything. And when he sees Mordecai, the Jew, he says, whatever I have is worth nothing. So that is depression. That is terrible depression. So we have to know, we have to appreciate everything we have. Everything we have, we have to say, "Hashem bless me." Hashem, thank you. Hashem, everything I have. That's why we say so many blessings, just to get this message of gratitude and not desiring more. Thank you, Hashem. I'm really lucky to have this because. There's so many people around the world that don't have food on the table. There's so many people around the world that don't have roofs over their head. There's so many people around the world right now that bombs are falling on them from the sky. And we are lucky if these things are not happening. We are very fortunate. We have to thank God every second minute and not get depressed over small things. Unfortunately, we get depressed over small things. And so it says, and I just want to continue the story. It says, Kain spoke to his Evel, his brother. Here we are. Speech again, the context of fighting. Terrible speech, negative speech. Cain spoke to Hevel, his brother, when they were in the field. And Cain rose against his brother Hevel, and he killed his brother. Okay, speech. Now, what's interesting is the Torah does not tell us what did Cain tell Hevel? We this is this is amazing. Just think about it. What is going on? Okay, we don't know. There's a lot hidden in the story. So I gave you three midrashim. Is it about women? Is it about money and finances? and split the world? Or is it about spirituality? We don't know. What do you say? But there's a very fascinating Midrash. It's a wild Midrash. The Midrash says, the kind told Hebel, you know, God spoke to me. He didn't speak to me about me. He spoke to me about you, Hebel. That you are no good Hebel. You are the sinner Hebel. Sinners are captured by you do no In other words, a lot of people do this. They turn the blame on others. The guy is at fault. He takes his problems and he shines them on other people. Your fault. It's your fault. You can you imagine a couple fighting? And the husband tells his wife, it's all your fault. And he, she tells him, it's all your fault. Well, this, this couple needs therapy badly. <laughs> so that's what happened. That's the speech the Midrash says. Kain was telling Heather it's all your fault, you know, Hashem may rebuke me, but it's all because of you, Heather, It's all your fault. Now, there's another midrash. Midrash says Hevel was stronger than Kain. And Hevel was sitting on top of Kain. And Kain said, Oh, my brother, you're going to kill me. God, you're going to kill me. And he aroused Heaven's mercy. And then Kain killed Heaven. Can out! imagine? Boy, sometimes it's not good to have too much mercy. You know, It's, it's a matter of life and death. Yeah. And that's the problems we're facing, these problems every single day. How do we react? How do we act and how do we react? And here the Torah is giving us guidance. Watch what you say. Speech is the power to create. Hashem created the world with speech. And speech has the power to destroy and cause murder. Speech can cause murder. And Hashem says to kind the famous words Where is your brother, Heaven? And Kion responds, even more famous words, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer to that is yes, you are. And that's the answer Judaism gives. They are, you love your friend as yourself. You are your brother's keeper. So, small examples, if you see your brother's, your brother's or your neighbor's roof leaking, tell them. If you see they left the lights of the car on, which today, by the way, is automatic. <laughs> Don't tell them today, you just infuriate them. <laughs> but in those days where the lights would not go up by themselves, you tell them, right? So you have to warn, you have to tell your brother, you have to warn your brother, we are our brothers' keepers. That's amazing. So that is the Sweet Parasha. And Hashem says, What have you done? Kind, what have you done? Your brother's bloods in the plural the Torah says, the Me'Achika, the bloods of your brother bloods of your brother many bloods of your brother are calling out to me from the ground again we are left in the dark what is that conversation between kind heaven talked about does he endeavor to implement god's counsel to improve by attempting reconciliation with heaven maybe try to make amends with heaven we don't know maybe try to make amends and then is anger heaven sort of uh, pushed him off, and he got really angry and mad. Here we see that it's very important not to get mad, not to lose temper, not to get angry, not to lose control. It's so bad, so hard. You see so many crimes today, crimes of passion, crimes because people lose control. It's very, very important. Not to. So Adam lost control, Chava lost control, Cain lost control. We don't have, have a lost control. We don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. So in a mock departure, now we come to another spiritual revolution. It's interesting. Kind made the first spiritual revolution. We got to give things back to God. We owe God. We have to give things back to God. How do we give things back to God? It's, you know, there's no such thing as giving things back to God. What can you give your parent? And the answer is by listening. That's what God says. All I want is for you to listen to me. And that is called nachat ruach. I should say nachas. How do you give nachas to your parents? By listening to them and honoring them. That's what Hashem wants. That's all That's all we can do for Hashem. All these korbanon all uh, well, for ancient man, But for us, all we can do is give God our hearts. How do we go God our hearts? Number one is think about him occasionally. <laughs> Such a small thing. Yes. Think about Hashem occasionally. Think who gave us what we have. Think of gratitude when we think of Hashem. Try and do what God wants, what he says in the Torah, he gave to Moshe Rabbeinu. And that, are, that's how we give back to God. That's how we honor Hashem. So that is what we need to do. So here is Cain. now. Kayin is cursed. He's exiled. Hashem says, you're a wanderer. Na'venad, you're going to be wandering. The first wanderer was Kayin. And then we Jews became wanderers as well. It's a mark of kind to be a wanderer in the world. Can you imagine? we really got 2,000 years of wandering. Baruch Hashem, our wandering is nearly out, Baruch Hashem. A lot of Jews are here. Now Israel, half of us. And Israel, wandering is going to stop Israel. You can wander around Israel. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Just wander around Israel. That's it. That's enough. Okay. So Cain's uh, crime, blinded by jealousy, consumed by rage. He killed his own flesh and blood terrible. His companion, his dearest friend, we don't even understand. The only friend he had in the world. He had parents and he had his friend. His brother was his friend, his best friend. A black veil of tragedy descends on humanity. How can we find some kind of remedy for this? And the answer is, Kind gave us the answer himself. And there is hope. Cain was cursed, he was exiled, he was condemned to worry, wonder, but God spares his life. And it says, the Midrash says, Kain was the first one to do Teshuvah. The secret of Teshuvah was unearthed by Kain. That Adam wants to know, he comes to Kain, and says, how come you got away with it? How come you killed your brother? God didn't kill you, welcome. And Kain said, I pleaded with God. My, my sin is too great to bear. My punishment was too great to bear. He, he pleaded with God to give him another chance. And that Hashem did. And now Adam learned the lesson and he also did Teshuvah says so 130 years was doing teshuva, and that's when Adam made up this, the psalm, which we say every Shabbat, Moshi yomah Shabbat. The rabbis say it was, it was made by Adam when he heard the secret of there is hope. There's hope after failing. There's a way to climb back up the mountain of God. There's a way to climb back up by doing teshuva. So Kain, here he is, a spiritual genius and murderer. Imagine, Hard to imagine, huh? Spiritual genius and a murderer at the same time. How can you be a spiritual genius and a murderer? And the answer is, the person does not change their traits. They don't work on themselves and try and get rid of the anger and the passion and the the bad passion, the evil passion, and the depression. They have to change. These are the three things we have to work on: evil passion, anger, and depression. Person got to try and be happy. You know, I mentioned this many times. The spirituality is measured by happiness. The happier the person, the more spiritual they are. The sadder the person, low level spirituality. It's very happy to be a happy person. And it's very hard to be happy all the time. It's very hard to wake up happy. It's very hard to go to sleep happy. <laughs> Maybe it <laughs> depends on the person. So we have to try always to be happy. There's rather shame from this lesson. And we learn from here two things from Kain. Number one, the positive things are give God back. How do you give God something? And the answer is by doing his will, by honoring God, by doing his will. And number two is by forgiveness, getting closer to God. Teshuvah, we talked about, we're going to talk about it more. Teshuvah is going back to God and building our relationship with God. And also, number three, is build our relationship with mankind. Because without that, a person can be a spiritual genius and a murderer. Wow. You see many priests who pushed war and, and fight and kill, and, and you have these people pushing war in the name of religion. And that is exactly what we're talking about. Kain was that kind of person, according to one opinion. But Kain teaches us this message there is hope, there is teshuva. So, of course, the story of Kain and Heaven stresses the fundamental idea of God having granted humanity. This is a very, very important point, philosophical point. Hashem granted humanity unhindered and autonomous moral choice. Kain decides to kill his brother, and Hashem looks on in horror and does nothing. Why did God interfere? And the answer is Hashem gave mankind autonomy, We see this today. Why isn't God stopping the war? Hashem gives humanity autonomy, Just like you're meant to give your child autonomy to grow up. A child needs autonomy every time he falls down, you pick him up. uh, Or you don't even let him fall down. You put him in a pen and don't let him fall down. He's not going to be able to walk. A person, human beings, need autonomy to grow. Hashem gave us autonomy. And uh, that's uh, one of the lessons in the parsha as well. We have autonomy to the point where a human being, kill another human being in cold blood. And Hashem does not say a word. This also mentions the story of Yosef and his brothers, where uh, the brothers could have the capability to kill their own brother. Another, another problem. And fortunately for all of us, they didn't. They stopped. They stopped themselves. They learned this lesson. So Bereshit starts off as fratricide. And it ends off with wanting to do fratricide, but stopping at the right time, last minute. They stopped. They stopped killing their brother. Judah tells them what we're going to gain from killing and drawing his brother. Let us sell him instead, which is not good either, but at least they didn't kill him. <laughs> killing someone is death. That's the end of physical life. So they didn't, they didn't stoop that low. So Bereshit starts off with this terrible story, but it ends off with some hope for humanity, which we're going to talk about, rather Hashem. There is a growth curve in Bereshit. If you look at the Bereshit, one more thing I want to mention is the beginning of next week's parasha also starts off with the world was full of Hamas. That's a very, very appropriate name for violent robbery, which is we have our own Hamas over here in Israel. Uh, Ruling Gaza, the rulers of Gaza took this very appropriate name. The land was full of Hamas, which is violent robbery. So here we are. Uh, A thousand years later, the world was uh, very similar to kind in heaven. There's a lot more people, but the world was still full of violence. Why was it full of violence? And the answer is the Teva. The remedy for violence is the Teva. God says to Noah, build yourself a Teva. What is a Teva? Well, we all know Teva is a box. It's an ark. It's a box. But it's also used for the word, the word word. The word W-O-R-B in Hebrew is Teva. Hashem tells Noah, build a word for yourself. What word are you going to build for yourself? Well, the, the box was full of animals. And Noah was a big zookeeper. People don't realize Noah's righteousness was. What was he doing in the ark for a year? He was a zookeeper doing acts of kindness to animals. He was doing acts of kindness by feeding the animals. Hashem says the tikkun, fixing this world full of hamas of violent robbery, is in your speech. Build a teva, speech, a word. And fill that word with chesed, with kindness to the animals. This way you're going to build a world full of chesed the world will be built through kindness, Halaf Halafai, this world will be built through kindness, but we help each other, when we're kind to each other, in the family, out of the family, friends, relatives, whoever it is, a person on the street that needs help, build Chesed, you're building a world of kindness, which is totally the opposite of what the world is trying to do now, kill each other and destroy each other. We have to, that Tikkun is building a world of kindness, which starts off the parasha, next week's parasha. So already given away the parasha. But we're going to talk about something else next week. Bez Rav join me. Please join me next week. Same time, same channel. And thanks for all attending. And I wish you all a Shabbat Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.